Q&A session coming up a few weeks down the road where you guys just in service are going to be able to let it rip and put your staff on the spot. And we'll just answer all the questions live that, uh, that Sunday. It's going to be a great, great day. But we got some stuff to talk about today. Um, how many of you guys have ever been driving down the road? Yeah, you guys that drive, you know what I mean, you're driving down the road. Uh, have you ever been driving down the road and then suddenly you see the blue lights in your rearview mirror? You know that feeling you get? Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Like, I was driving to Texas one time, and uh, I was cruising down I-20, and right across the, the Alabama line, a few exits in, I saw this guy up on a bridge, and I thought, what is this guy doing up on the bridge? And he had this little thing, and I thought, was well, that somebody capturing some video up on the bridge? The closer I got, I realized, oh, no, that's a cop, and he's got the magic gun, and he's just clocking people pew, 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 off this bridge. And I looked, and there's just cop cars lined up on the exit ramp. And so he's clocking people, and then they're just going, like 10 or 12 cops just had a speed trap going off I-20, and they were pulling people over. They were busting people, you know. And I got nervous because I drive in around Atlanta. Speed limits are just like philosophical suggestions around here. Y'all know what that's like? Like if you go, if you follow the speed limit on 285, it says 55 miles an hour here in Atlanta. If you run 55 miles an hour on 285, you're going to get ran over on 285, you know. So, um, in fact, there should probably be a sign up there that says, warning, if you go 55, you are probably going to get run over by all the other traffic around you. It's probably what it should say. So, uh, I, I immediately looked down at at how fast I was going, and I had to let off the gas a little bit and slow down, you know. Um, they had speed traps going out there, and it was crazy. Um, how many of y'all have ever been caught in a speed trap before? Like, I have. Yeah. Didn't get caught in that one. Um, the guy in front of me wasn't so lucky. He got busted, but I didn't get caught in that one. Um, you know, it's not just cops that set traps for you. The devil's pretty good at setting traps. In fact, he's really good at setting traps to try to trip us up and to get us off track. He's really good at setting traps for Christians. Because the people that aren't Christians, he's already got. I want you to hear me. He's already got them. Okay? Unless they know Jesus, they're going to go to hell. Unless they come into the knowledge of Jesus, accept him as their Lord and Savior, they're going to go to hell. Us, different thing. He's got to use a different strategy on us. So he sets traps to try to distract Okay, because he knows most of the time he can't hit us head on with stuff. He can't just say, here is sin and temptation right here. Come and look at this good looking guy. Come over here, little lady. Look at this right here. He knows he can't do that. So he sets really smart traps to get us. Okay, and most of the time those traps that he sets comes along with our emotional involvement in something. And usually it's attached to our opinion on something. And a lot of the times it's when those things don't line up with the truth of God's word. And what we got to do as Christians is be real smart here, okay? And not take the bait on what is becoming one of the best traps of the enemy. And getting us to become divided in church world over political issues and social issues and happenings in society today, Okay? Because it's real easy to jump on the, the bandwagon of opinion. 
And it's real easy to, to bite on the spin that you hear coming from the news outlets. It's real easy to take those little baits and fall into those traps. Because all the enemy really wants to do, all the devil really wants to do, is to get us distracted from the main thing. That's all he wants to do, is to get us distracted from the main thing. So today, we're going to finish the discussion we started a couple of weeks ago on how a Christian is supposed to approach political issues. Um, we, we wrapped up kind of the discussion on immigration and then the refugee thing. That may carry over to today because I believe it's part of a bigger picture that we're going to be discussing today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about um, Gun control, does the Bible even say that we have the right to defend ourselves as Christians or carry arms as, as children of God? And, and we're going to take a look, a 30,000-foot view at end-time prophecy and how this is all going to play out, okay? The enemy wants to distract us from all of that. As Christians, we have to be careful that we are basing our worldview on one thing, the Word of God. I'm going to say it again. That would have been a great time to say amen. As Christians, we've got to make sure that we're basing our worldview on the Word of God. Nothing else. Not grandmama's opinion. Not the way your family's always voted. Not because you think a politician looks better than another one. The Word of God. End of story. The Word of God. And Jesus said, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my Word will never pass away. The Word of God is eternal. The Word of God is true. we got to base everything on that. Everything's got to go through the filter of the Word of God. So let's look at Mark um, 16, starting at verse 15. This is a scripture we used a couple of weeks ago to start this discussion off. We're going to come back to it because it's important. Because as children of God, as the church, we've got a mission. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach the gospel to all creation. Now, who is that command for? Us, the church, okay? That has to be a motivation. That's got to be a filter. Everything that we do, everything that we do has got to go through that filter of, is this going to help us reach the world for Jesus Christ? And if it does, it stays. If it doesn't, it's got to go. Make sense? Yes. Got to be able to do that. Now, the world we live in doesn't operate like this, okay? Um, we know that Jesus is the hope for this world. Jesus is the answer for every solution, but the world doesn't know that. So the world is going to try to come up with its own solutions, and it's always going to look like political issues and laws, political issues and laws just about every time because every moral problem that comes from the heart of a man is going to manifest itself out in social issues that have to be addressed, and moral issues in the country. Um, and so they're going to say, put your hope in uh, an elephant or a donkey. Put your hope in an elephant or a donkey here in America. And both sides are going to say, we've got the solution and we've got the answer. If you vote for us, what we're going to do is fix all these problems that we have today. Democrats are going to say it. Republicans are going to say the same thing. A person that thinks with common sense is going to say, okay, you guys have been around for a long time. What new thing do you have in your toy chest that you're going to pull out that's going to magically fix everything that you haven't been able to fix for the last couple of hundred years as a nation? What is it? They're not going to have it. You know why? Because Jesus is the only answer. 
Jesus is the only answer. Um, there's a problem here, though, because you can't really trust. Like, Republicans aren't really Republicans anymore. The party's changing. It's changing. In fact, uh, the Republican Party really looks a whole lot more like the extreme Democrat Party used to look like just even 10 or 15 years ago. And if you really want to be what the Republican Party used to represent, you've got to be called what's called a conservative now, the conservative end of that party. And Democrats, they don't look like Democrats used to anymore either. The liberal party has hijacked the branding and the look of the Democratic Party. And it's not Democrats anymore, they're liberals. In fact, if you're uh, what the Democratic Party used to be, you're a whole lot of right of center from what it represents now. And you're pretty close to what a Republican would be called today. Liberalism has crept in. So you can't even trust those things anymore because they represent now not just platforms and policies, but they're beginning to represent ideologies. That's very dangerous. That is incredibly dangerous because we're seeing not just a separation in our culture today, but we're beginning to see a polarization in our culture today. We're going to talk about that at the end of this message. We're, we're seeing a polarization. And in every organized society, when you begin to see a separation over ideals that develops into a polarization, okay, magnetic poles that can never, they push against each other and they're always at odds with one another. As soon as you see that polarization, which is where we're getting as a nation, you begin to see persecution take place after that. Because the two sides almost become religious and, and fanatic in, in their points of view. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to persecute you. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to persecute you and impose my will on you. And that's it's getting dangerously close to that in our nation today. We're going to talk about that uh, here in a little bit. The answer for our country's problems is not a donkey or an elephant. Okay? It's a cross. It's a cross. The answer for every problem is Jesus. Okay, I want to keep coming back to this. It's Jesus. It's not another law. It's not another restriction. It's not another department. It's not a, it's, it is Jesus. He is the answer to every problem that we face. How many of you know that that's true? You've experienced the work of Jesus in your heart. How many of you are glad that Jesus has transformed you? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about what he's done in my heart because I know who I used to be, and I know how he's healed me, and he's restored me, and he's given me a hope and a future. I know the calling that he's put on my life. I didn't have that before. I know how I feel on the inside. I know the change that's happened. How many of you would praise God this morning and say, thank you for the work that you've done in my life. How many of you would say that? Yeah. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. He is the answer for every problem. Now, our job as a church is to get that Jesus out to everybody else. That's the motivating, that's, that's the motivation. That's the filter that everything has to go through. Why do you say that? Because most people don't operate that way. Most people don't operate that way. Most people's uh, responses to issues are usually emotional and based on limited or one-sided information. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in pretty good detail. Most people don't consider what the Bible says when it comes to issues that we face in this country today. We've got to be better than that as a church. There's an election cycle in play. We've got elections coming up pretty soon. And a lot of issues are going to be on the table and we have to be wise enough as people of God to not take the bait that's going to be out there 
and to make sure that when we vote, we're voting biblical truth. Okay? Or as close to it as we can possibly get in a candidate because it's getting harder and harder and harder to find that. You know what I mean? So you've got to dig through all the mud and all the hype and all the spin and land on policies and platforms that these people are going to run on. Not the spin and the emotional bait that are going to be thrown out by these politicians and by the news and media outlets and all that stuff, the pretty pictures of the children and the people in need and, and the pictures of the people that are going to try to do us harm and we've got to, 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 to defend ourselves against them and, and all that. You've got to set all that stuff aside and ask yourself, what does the Bible say? What is going to give us, number one, the best opportunity as the people of God to reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel. And what candidate is going to let us be able to do that? And what party is going to let us be able to do that? And what party will or won't let us be able to do that? Because there, there's a lot of stuff in play in this election coming up. Uh, We've got to operate with wisdom, okay? When it comes to the stuff that we're going to discuss here in a little bit, we've got to operate in wisdom and disconnect our preferences, our prejudices, and land on the ground of what does the Bible say and walk that out, okay? That pretty good groundwork before we get into this? I felt like that was pretty good groundwork before we got in. Personally, I don't know. Just set everything up. Um, So let's look at this. Let's look at gun control and the right to bear arms. One of the questions that came in for this series was, hey, what, what does the Bible say about the, the gun control thing? And does the Bible even give us uh, the, the right? Do we have a biblical right to bear arms, to carry around? Does the Bible say that I can carry around a gun? Does the Bible even say that? I got news for you today. I know this is going to be a shocker. The Bible does not say anywhere that we have the right to carry around a gun. You want to know why? Because they didn't have guns when the Bible was written. They didn't have it. You know, it wasn't like Jesus was walking around with the disciples and they were all strapped. Jesus went walking around with a a Glock and the disciples rolling around with a bunch of AKs. What's up, yo? This is how we roll. You better listen to this man. They weren't doing that. Okay, they didn't have guns back then. All right, so, so, but what does the Bible say, though, about the right to bear arms? The right to bear arms, you're not going to find that wording in Scripture anywhere. What you are going to find, though, are those words in something called the Constitution of the United States. Okay? Uh, that's different. That's different. The U.S. Constitution, while founded on biblical principles for the most part, um, you're not going to see that phraseology, though, in, in the Bible. So what does the Bible say, though, about the right to bear arms? And what does the Bible say about gun control? Probably a whole lot more than you think. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. And there's two major schools of thoughts on this in church world, okay? Um, and some of you... You may be on one or the other side of this position in church world. Uh, Probably, I'll I'll say this. I'm going to say something in this discussion that's probably going to rub you the wrong way, depending on what side you're on, because I'm going to present biblical points of view on both sides of this. All right? 
So if I aggravate you, bear with me. It's cool. We'll aggravate everybody else in just a little bit, all right? Um, But we're going to look at, and listen, it's important that we don't just pick and choose Bible verses that say what we want the Bible to say, and that we don't pick and choose things to try to get the Bible to line up with our opinion and preference on something. It's important for us to be able to be mature enough to disengage that part of ourselves and let God's word lead and guide us through issues. It's very important. So Matthew 5, 38 and 39. One side of this discussion will say, we'll, we'll go to this passage of Scripture and say, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Everybody say, turn the other cheek All right, it's not just something that you do in the doctor's office when he's giving you a shot. All right, something that you can do to apply the Word of God to your life. So what does this passage of Scripture mean? Well, you have to look at the rest of the Bible to be able to decipher this thing. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is, hey, uh, it's probably a pretty good practice not to live a life that's vengeful looking to retaliate to other people when they do wrong to you. So if someone does that, and they be called an evil person, a better practice is to turn the cheek and operate in love and a servant's heart and forgiveness. Now I'm reaching to other scriptures to fill in the blanks that are here in this one. Because you don't just look at one Bible verse, you look at all the Bible verses, okay, to see what Scripture's talking about. As Christians, our first motivation has to be to love, to love, and to forgive when wrong is done to us. There's a real popular video going on right now on Facebook with a guy who forgave someone who killed a family member, and that's it's a powerful video. I think there's probably a deeper principle at play in that than just forgiveness. Um, but our motivation has to be to forgive. Has to be to forgive. That means that we can't strap guns on our hips, pick up bats, pick up knives, and try to be Batman, vigilante, defender of the common good. If someone does something wrong to us, our first motivation has to be to love. It's got to be our initial motivation. Why? Because our number one job as Christians, one, is to glorify God, two, to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Okay? We've got to reach this world for Jesus. Now, a lot of people will read this and they'll adopt a passive point of view because Jesus lived a passive life when he was here on this earth. If you look at Jesus' lifestyle, um, he wasn't a guy that fought a lot of fights. He was a guy that was real passive. His first motivation was love. He always forgave. In fact, there were opportunities for Jesus to take action. Like there was a couple of times where crowds got around him and they were trying to kill him. And instead of taking them out, which he could have done, Jesus just kind of passed through the crowd and avoided the conflict. And I think that's got to be our initial 
motivation and our initial course of action as Christians. Okay, it's love. It's love to forgive. Now, are you gun-toting Rambo? People are getting aggravated at me right now. We got to love. We have to love first. All right. The Bible says that vengeance is whose? It's God's. He will repay. All right. So vengeance is off the table. We have to operate with love and forgiveness. Okay. Now, self-defense is a different scenario. All right. Let's look at what the Bible says. I'm going to kind of create a more complete picture here. Luke 22, starting at verse 35. It says, then Jesus asked them. Okay, stop right here. Who asked them? So who's talking here? You guys are great Bible scholars. It is great. They, they teach you. Great theologians will say, anytime you see something that says Jesus said, whatever comes after that, Jesus said in Scripture. I know that's deep and profound. This is what Jesus is saying here. The same Jesus that talked to his disciples about eye for eye, tooth for tooth, turning the other cheek. This Jesus says, When I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. And Jesus is referring to times that he sent out the disciples to go into, out into cities and preach the gospel, and a lot of cool stuff happened. But he sent them out without supplies so that they would learn to trust him. So I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals. Did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Now look, a purse. You ladies are going to pick up on this really fast, but us guys are going to be slow to this. What do you put in a purse? Women say, everything, everything. I know that's true. My wife will say, Josh, I'll, I'll look for something, and Kelly will say, uh, it's in my purse, and automatically I get this look of dread on my face because I'm like, I do not have a map. I do not have a GPS. I do not have, she can go right to it and find it. I'll spend half a day trying to find something in her purse because she's got everything, which is cool because usually when we need something, she's got it. You know, she's got it. So props to that. But what this is referring to is a purse. It's a money purse, okay? It's financial provision. So Jesus is saying, I sent you out without financial provision. I sent you out without a bag, okay? That's your supplies. That's your food. That's the stuff you need to survive. That's your equipment. I sent you out without that, okay? And he said, I sent you out without money. I sent you out without supplies, and I took care of you. You didn't need anything, did you? And they say, no, we didn't need anything. You took care of us. And Jesus says this. He says, but now, if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Now, this is towards the end of Luke. Jesus knows that he's fixing to be betrayed. He's fixing to get sold out. He knows he's fixing to have to stand trial, and he's going to be crucified, and he's going to die. Now, he also knows he's going to be raised from the dead, too. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, Look, I took care of you before. Times that you went out, I took care of you. But now, you're going to have to be prepared to take care of yourself. So you need to make sure that you've got money with you. You need to make sure that you're toting that bag, that you've got supplies. And then he makes a reference to a sword, which is a self-defense item. Just make sure that you're ready to defend yourselves. 
Now, when you read these two passages of Scripture, if you're like me, common sense in your way through this, my question is, which Jesus am I supposed to follow? Am I supposed to follow passive Jesus who surrendered his life and went to the cross? Or am I supposed to follow practical Jesus who says you need to make sure that you got the stuff that you need and something to protect yourself? Which one? Which Jesus? Spoiler alert, same Jesus. Same Jesus. All right? And you can know this by looking at the life of Jesus. Okay? Uh, Because Jesus did live a passive life. He did turn the other cheek. He let people beat him with a cat of nine tails until his internal organs were exposed. He let people crucify him, nail him to a cross, and he hung there naked until he suffocated to death over the course of the day and died. Okay? The Son of God who could have spoken a word and brought legion upon legions of angels down on the earth and destroyed us all, chose to withhold that and to operate with restraint and out of a motivation of love. Okay? That same Jesus is still the same Jesus that flipped over some tables and beat some guys silly in the temple. All right? In your anger, do not sin. That same Jesus is the same Jesus that's going to put his foot down on a mountain, the Battle of Armageddon, and look at the world's armies that are lined up against him with the Antichrist and the false prophet there leading the way. That same Jesus that laid down his life is going to wage war and destroy every one of them. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the blood from that engagement is going to flow as deep as a horse's bridle. What does that mean? That means Jesus can be nice and Jesus can slap out and be gangster if he wants to. Um, It's going to happen. It's in the word of God. So you got to find a larger 30,000 foot view of what the Bible is saying here. And look at the totality of Scripture. Combine it together, okay? Our first motivation is love, okay? We don't act out of revenge. But there does come a time where you can and may need to defend yourself, all right? And the Bible says that in situations where you are in imminent danger or those that you care about is in imminent danger, their lives are in danger, that we have permission from Scripture to defend those that we love and ourselves. Unless it's one of those situations where it's time for you to be a martyr. Nobody likes to hear that. Okay? There are plenty of stories where God has protected missionaries on the field who wouldn't lift up a hand against the people they were trying to minister to. And there are stories where missionaries have given their lives in presenting the gospel to people. William Tyndale is one of them, the guy that, that um, went and copied the, the Bible from the Greek and the Hebrew and put it in a commons man language where we could sit down and read it, what became the uh, original King James Version of the Bible. He was burned at the stake for what he did. Isn't that crazy? So God could call you to lay down your life, but we do have precedent in Scripture where we do have the right to defend ourselves. Pastor Josh... What do you do personally? I'm ready to defend myself. 
I'm ready to defend my family. All right. We live in a crazy world. We live in a crazy world. All right. I got a lot of messages to preach. I got a lot of people left to lead to the Lord before it's all said and done. Now, if the Lord wants me to lay down my life and be a martyr, he'll tell me and I'll do it. But until he does, I'm going to make sure that I'm ready to get up here to preach every week so that lives can be impacted and changed. Okay. Um, I've got two daughters. That by default means that I gotta buy guns. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it might be your your conviction that you don't own a, own a firearm, and you know what? If that's the way you roll and that's how you do things, then that's fine. You know, I don't look down on that. Don't look down on me because um, I I operate from the point of view of wanting to make sure that I, I am am protected um, at any given time. Um, why? Because we live in a crazy world. Um, look at mass shooting trends in our world today. Just in our country. It's crazy. Public shootings are through the roof. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, and this was another question that came in. You know, what? how are we supposed to respond to this as Christians? Because there's going to be some voting that's going to take place. This is going to be a major discussion uh, in the elections coming up. Um, I think... I think this has become a very politically charged issue. And because of that, it's become a very, an issue that's been being pushed a lot by the media. And anytime you give a major spotlight to something like this, it's going to pick up momentum and get traction. Whether it's something positive or something negative. When you put something in a national spotlight for an extended period of time, it's going to pick up momentum. It's just going to happen. Um, but I think these things need to be talked about, though. You can't just sweep this stuff under the rug. I think we got a lot of copycat stuff happening. Um, so what do we do as Christians with this? Well, we got to reach people for Jesus. Did you know that the majority, I think almost every, I want to be careful and say, I don't know if it's almost every, every or almost every, so I'll say almost every, every, uh, almost every shooter in recent mass shootings was an individual who did not have a father in the home. That's a big issue. I think the church could step in and try to fill some of that gap. You know what I mean? There's a lot of fatherless children that need great role models. And I think the men of God could step up and make that happen. I really do. Um, you, you're going to hear a lot, both sides of this. You're going to hear a lot of people talking about wanting to pass a lot of laws to further restrict the use of guns in our country. And then you're going to hear people stand up and say, no, we have a right under the Constitution to bear arms. And it says that you can't infringe on that. But you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. Me personally, from what I know from the Bible, and this is important, okay, so what I know from the Bible is that you cannot legislate morality. It's not going to be done. If it could be done then the law of Moses would have been all that we needed to live a sinless life. But it didn't work, and Jesus had to come to do away with the Mosekeo law, become the fulfillment of it, so that he could be the sacrificial lamb for our forgiveness. That makes sense? Okay, so if, if it won't work 
for us, it's definitely not going to work on a national level in passing laws. You know, um, we need to reach people for Jesus. We need to reach people for Jesus. I'll say it one more time. We need to reach people for Jesus. Okay. Um, I think that if you could give me a law that would guarantee that this would never happen again and that I wouldn't have to look over my shoulder when I go out in public with my family just to make sure. I think if, you know, if you could give me a law that would take care of all of that, I'd give it a good hard look because I, knew, I would know that my, my family would be safe. But I don't think you can produce something like that because you can't legislate morality. So all that you, and, and honestly, we've got enough laws on the books right now. If we would just enforce the laws that were on the books, I think it would go a long way in doing what some of these new laws that are being proposed are intended to do. I don't think we need new laws. I think we just need to enforce the ones that we have and reach people for Jesus. You know, it's a big problem. I think if you look at cities that have incredibly strict gun laws, um, those, those cities, those states have some of the highest numbers of, gun, of, of shooting incidents and gun killings. Um, so restricting it doesn't really produce the result that, that's intended with that. But what, you, what you're seeing is you're seeing a society trying to fix a heart issue with a law, and you're not going to be able to do that. Only Jesus is the solution to these issues that we're facing in our country today. Is this making sense? Okay. He's the only one. Um, why does this matter, Josh? Why are we talking about that? I think these are great questions. These are great questions. If you've got questions on this that you want to ask me after service, because I know this isn't going to be an exhaustive um, answer to all these issues that we're talking about today. Um, come up and ask me after service. We'll get some coffee and we'll talk it through, you know. Um, there's a bigger picture than just the small issue of gun control and what we're seeing in response to shootings in our country um, and, and even the, the debate on Im- immigration, okay? There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger thing. Like there's, there's a bigger game of chess at work here than just these issues that we're going to be talking about um, over the next few months as a country. So it's important that we use the Bible to filter issues so we don't miss the forest for the trees as Christians, okay? Um, there's bigger stuff at play here. All of these things are going to come into play to lay the groundwork for what we read about in the book of Revelation and end time prophecy. I mean, you have heard of this little thing called a red flag law. Red flag laws. These are big. These are getting pushed right now. Real popular in the states. Now listen. Separate, separate. The gun issue from your mind right now. Okay, separate that over here. It's done in response to um, the the shooting issue in an attempt to create more accountability and um, another filter to help catch someone who might not need a gun in their hands before they get a gun in their hands. And from that point of view, I think it's a great approach. Problem is, red flag laws as a Christian are incredibly concerning to me. Okay. Because of the language that's in some of them, you need to pay attention to what's written in these laws that goes deeper than just the emotional knee-jerk response that they're trying to get from you, okay? 
if someone in some states is, is, is the law officer, but in many states right now on a state level, it can be a coworker or a family member, and in some states it can be a friend, thinks that you are a danger to society and a danger to yourself, they can go in and report you. And a judge will send the law enforcement to your place and they will forcibly remove all weapons and firearms from you. Listen now, without due process. That's what's concerning. Without due process, all right? Now, if somebody has a mental issue and they've flown under the radar and somehow been able to get a weapon and somebody says, hey, that uh, is going to be a problem because I hear what they're saying and it's really disturbing. They should be able to go, and I think it should be, at least be looked at, you know, but it, not without due process. That's big, okay, because that opens the door to a larger, a, a, a bigger deal because um, a lot of the stuff that you're hearing talked about being enforced on a national level that you're going to hear discussed in the upcoming election that's coming up on a national level. These red flag laws are going to be talked about, and they're going to want to institute this stuff on a national level. Not that the motive is wrong, okay, but you got to look deeper because if they can't come in on hearsay from a neighbor and swipe stuff, what's the next step in that progression? In some states, if you are heard making what's called hate speech, okay, you become a prime candidate to be disarmed because of hate speech. What's hate speech? As a Christian, this ought to make you want to drop down and start praying right now. Okay, you know what hate speech is? Hate speech is when I stand up in the pulpit and I say homosexuality is a sin. When I say that God loves the homosexual, but he... He hates the sin just like he would hate any other sin that's committed, all right? I think we give homosexuality a platform it doesn't really need. Gossip, slander, porn addictions, all that junk right in there, okay? Sin is sin is sin is sin is sin. But if I say it from the pulpit, now that's a hate crime. If they can come and take weapons without due process because of that, you see where this goes, Okay? Why is this important? It's incredibly important because it's a precursor to things that are going to come and things that we're going to be facing as Christians. We need to pay attention to this stuff because that, that inhibits our ability to reach people for Jesus. It opens up the door for, for a whole lot of trouble. Is that making sense? We need to pay attention to that stuff. Why? People don't realize what's going to happen. The same thing with immigration. Um, there, there's something bigger at play. Something bigger at play here. I've got a timeline I want to show you. End time prophecy timeline. Um, most people don't know how things are going to play out because most people are scared to death of the book of Revelation. You don't have to be scared to death of the book of Revelation. But if you look on this little little timeline, we're gonna, this just kind of hits the main points. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. But one of the questions was, how does all the stuff we're seeing today fall into end-time prophecy? It's big. It's a big, big deal as it ties into end-time prophecy. So you see us as a present-age church on the far left of the screen, uh, depending on where you're standing or sitting. Down there on the bottom, there are words called rapture of the church. That's going to be big. 
That's going to be big. That is the next major event in end-time prophecy. That's when you and me, if we're still here, we'll hear that trumpet sound, and we're out of here. Jesus is going to come back and call his church to himself. We're gone. That's going to begin what most people will agree on being a seven-year tribulation where a guy called the Antichrist is going to emerge on the world scene. Okay? He's going to become a global dictator. Um, he's going to come out of political and probably some religious circles to lead the world in a one-world government and a one-world financial system and a world one-world one religion. Okay? I'll say it again. A world, one-world government, financial system, and religion. It's going to get pretty rough on the back half of that seven years. The last three and a half years are going to be nasty. If you're a Christian, you're in trouble if you're still here on the back half of that tribulation. Why does that matter? I want to show you another something here. Um, this, can't, this cannot exist. If America exists as it currently does today, you cannot have a one-world government, a one-world financial standing, or a one-world religion. can't exist while America is the way America is. Put that next slide up there, guys. You have to have the destruction of national sovereignty on a global scale in order for there to be a one-world government. In order for there to be the destruction of national sovereignty, the people of that nation have to be in a place where they cannot resist the will of the government that oversees them. You following where I'm going? Ever wondered why NATO is so interested in seeing America disarmed on a civilian level? Globalist. A globalist agenda. Now this sounds really dark and scary. It sounds like a really cool conspiracy theory. And if it wasn't written in the Word of God, I'd say, yeah, probably is. But because I know how this all ends up, I know the pieces that have to drop to get us to this point. All right? And we cannot be an armed nation with rights that are not infringed upon, with a government that's accountable to the people, and that take place. Can't see it take place. This is why so many countries right now in this world hate America. Because we are probably one of the last stable representations of a people that have national sovereignty. And from the devil's point of view, he can't get global control until we get neutralized. So something's got to take place to set the board so that that can happen. All right. Anytime you see personal rights begin to be infringed upon. Now that sounds crazy, Josh. That would never happen. How about Oregon where people wouldn't make a cake for a couple because they wanted to have a, they were celebrating a same-sex marriage or something like that? The state got involved, put them out of business because they wouldn't make a birthday cake or a wedding cake or whatever it was. Their shop, their prerogative, state came in. What about Houston, Texas, where the mayor there subpoenaed 
pastors in the area and try to legally force them to submit their sermons to the city so that they could review them and make sure there was no hate speech or homosexual slurs in the messages. Are you listening to me now? The only thing that kept that from happening were the checks and balances that we have in place right now. As a Christian, you should be listening to me because for the end time events to come into play that we know are going to happen in the book of Revelation, all of this stuff, national sovereignty is going to have to go away. Your rights are going to have to go away. My rights are going to have to go away. We're going to have to be subjected to a global authority. That means America cannot exist the way that it does right now. That means as Christians, we need to be voting in such a way to keep it this way for as long as we possibly can so that we can reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel of Jesus. Okay? Political parties don't matter at that point. It's reaching people for Jesus. There will be a one-world government. There will be one global dictator the Antichrist. There will be a one world religion. There's a lot more at play than just how we feel about a knee-jerk situation going on in a country. And I'm not making light of the stuff that we're facing with with immigration and and, and with gun control laws. And um, you, you guys understand what I'm saying with this, though. You have to look past this and see what's in play. And read what's actually being passed in these bills and the groundwork that's being set. And vote for um, the policies and the platforms that are going to give us the best chance at reaching people with the gospel with a little bit of time that we have. Okay? We forget this stuff sometimes when we miss the forest for the trees because we get caught up. We forget about what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 20 Starting in verse 11. This is where this all ends up. Then I saw a great white throne. And on him. And him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We've got to reach people with the gospel and not get caught up in the mudslinging to vote biblically correct on these issues, okay? That means that the, listen now, that politician that you hate so much, if they don't give their heart to Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell, all right. Just because they're a public figure doesn't mean that they get exempt from the same eternity that we do. They're going to die and go to hell. There's a bigger thing at play here. 
there's a bigger thing at play here than just the issues. You got to look past the issues. Say, what does the Bible say? How does it fall into play with biblical prophecy? And what is my responsibility as a Christian? Okay. Socialism that's being pushed right now in the younger generation, very concerning to me because you cannot have national identity and socialism at the same time. Um, socialism sounds like a great utopian society. And if you could show me an example anywhere in history where it's worked, I'd say, okay, that's cool, but you can't. It's failed over and over and over again. A big part of the, the refugee crisis that we have on the southern border still is because of collapsed government regimes that were socialist and communistic. Globalists want to usher in a one-world society and government. And before it's all said and done, it's going to happen. Now, to you and me, and to the untrained eye, it's going to look like a political push. It's going to look like an election. It's going to look like a law that's being passed on a physical level. But there are spiritual implications beyond what we're seeing happening on a physical level that we've got to consider. Making sense? We've got to reach as many people as we possibly can. Stand to your feet. Bow your head and close your eyes. We are all going to end up standing before the Lord. The Bible says that each one of us is going to be held accountable. According, we're going to be judged according to what we've done. I want to wrap up this message today with a message to the church at Eastgate. If you're here as a guest to you. We have got to operate with wisdom. When it comes to these issues. And see the bigger picture. I know I've said that like 30 times today. I'm hoping that everyone here is going to hear that. Because our job is to reach as many as we can with the time that we have left. Heads bowed, eyes closed, and no one looking around. I got a question for you. Are you doing that? Or have you become complacent in your walk with God? Have you become complacent in telling others about Him? Have you taken the bait of the media and political parties? And if, if I were to pull up your Facebook feed right now, would it be a whole lot of reposts of Republican this or Democrat that? Or would I see Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? Would I see that you've taken bait and been deceived by the enemy? Or would I see that you're doing your best to reach as many as you possibly can with the gospel of Jesus? 
we have, we have the solution that the world is desperately looking for. And it is incumbent upon us as Christians to take that Jesus that has so radically changed our lives and let other people know. heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. You're here this morning and you say, you know what Pastor Josh, I need to get serious about my walk with God and I need to get serious about what I'm doing with the gospel of Jesus. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and I want you to look at me because I want this to be a moment of change in your lives because we don't have that much time left, people. We don't have that much time left. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but there's a clock ticking out there. And sooner or later, end time prophecy is going to come to pass. The Bible is 100% accurate 100% of the time. And the same prophecy about Jesus that came true, the prophecies about end time events are going to come true just the same way. We've only got so much time. And what we're seeing happen on a global scale and on a national scale is beginning to lay the groundwork for what we read about in the book of Revelation. And that should both excite us and it should motivate us because that means Jesus is coming soon but we got a lot of work to do. And if you're here today and say, you know what, I, 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 just, I just need to get busy. I need to get busy on a whole new level. Regardless of the reason, maybe you've been complacent, maybe you've been distracted. Maybe it's been a while since you stepped back and looked at the big picture and you've, you've forgotten because of the issues of life and the activities of the kids and the responsibility of work and paying the bills. We are part of something bigger, guys. We're called to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you know, you know what? God just kind of spoken to me today and I need, I need to take this thing to another level. If that's you when I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes and look at me because I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you. Here we go. I'm not going to drag it out on the count of three. One, two, three. Lift your I see yours. 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 Once you lift them, you can put them back down. I see yours in the back. I see you right there. I see almost every person in this building. God has given us a wake-up call this morning, church. Now I want to invite everyone who can everyone who physically can to get out of your seat to get out of your row and come up here to the front of this church to what we call the altar area and let's just get before the Lord just for a few moments before we dismiss today and it doesn't matter if you lifted up your eyes or not I want everyone up here you physically possibly can to come on up Why are we making such a big deal out of this? Because we don't have that much time. I believe that what we're going to have this morning is a recommissioning for us as a church. All right? Just to, to reset some stuff. We've been reminded. We need to reset some stuff and refocus some stuff. Almost everybody in this place lifted up your eyes. Just a few were the exception. All right? We can't be distracted. We can't take the bait. There's too much at stake. We've got a world to reach for can't get caught up in the mud of society. We've got to rise above that.
love and reach this world that desperately needs Jesus. Now let's pray what you say. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we come to you. Lord, you know what the issues are that we're working through, Lord, for some of us. Lord, you're waking us up this morning to step out of time.